Attention, you're listening to the Todd Huff Radio Show, America's home for conservative, not bitter talk radio. Be advised that the content of this program has been documented to prevent and even cure liberalism, and listening may cause you to lean to the right. Here's your conservative, but not bitter host, Todd Huff. Well, a hearty good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome back to the Todd Huff Show, the home of conservative, not bitter. This is again for the second day, your humble immigrant correspondent, Chris Dunham. I'm coming to you from my studio in Las Colinas, Texas. I guess I just like seeing that. Who'd have thought that a guy from India would have a studio? <laughs> Who'd have thought that a guy from India would need a studio? Huh? But yesterday we had some heady discussion on the intersection of logic and intellect and faith and reason and morality and took us down that course uh, where we dissected a little bit of Dostoevsky. Now, for those of you who have reached out to me in the past, the email remains krish at krishdunham.com. That's K-R-I-S-H-D-H-A-N-A-M, krish at krishdunham.com. Continue to follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram. Uh, We do try to post information that is good, clean, pure, powerful, and positive. It is no bones that I come from a motivational and a positive thinking background, but I'm a gung-ho, dyed-in-the-wool, flag-waving American patriot. This, of course, is the home of conservative, not bitter, and uh, where Todd, uh, my dear friend, on a daily basis unpacks uh, news from the headlines, uh, things that grip us, things that grab us, things that agitate us, and things that grieve us. I come from a different uh, transformational and a training background. Uh, I try to bring anthropology into just about every argument I have. I try to bring logic and reason into every opinion I give. And more than often than not, I'll try to give you facts and resources of how I have managed to create that so-called arsenal for myself. And by arsenal here, I'm not talking about the Second Amendment. I'm probably probably just talking about the first and my ability to think and believe and speak freely. Today, I'm going to uh, maintain a lighter tone. Uh, maybe yesterday was much heavier, but uh, I want us to understand a few things. And that is that uh, there is a plan that we're going to give you that will allow us to stem this tide. Like I just thought to myself as I was preparing for this day, what can I share with you that will give you the hope that we need in these uncertain times? First, plug into power. And my plug acronym is pray, love, understand, and accept grace. Prayer, love, understanding, and grace. If you look for and uh, seek these four components. Now, prayer can be petitionary. uh, Prayer can be uh, asking for something. Prayer can be asking for interjection on behalf of something. Love can be for, can be with, can be through, can be to. 
Understanding, we do did a lot of it yesterday, so maybe we won't tackle that. And then grace, this unmerited favor. I don't want this to be a theological lecture of kind, though Todd gives me carte blanche in a lot of these areas. But what I want to talk about is the how do we rate in, in, in this journey? How do we ascribe? How do we accept? How do we approve? How do we applaud? So some years ago, I uh, remember a story I had heard. And the story talks about this thing called love. But the story was told in a very unusual way. And maybe I'll just tell that story to you. And uh, for lack of a better way, you can consider this segment on this hour story time. The story is told of a man who was married and had children and went away to another country. Whether you want to think of that as a far country or not, he went away to another country. There in that other country, he met someone else. And in meeting that someone else, he refined and redefined his ability to be expressive, and he fell in love with that person. And as the letters uh, to his home started coming, one day they stopped. And they stopped because he simply said, I've fallen in love with someone else. I'm sorry I cannot take care of you and our children anymore. And as a result of that, I just want you to bid me well in this new journey in this other country. The wife who was raising her children was obviously perplexed. Uh, She was traumatized and she was brought to the point of beginning to ask herself, why could this ever happen? But it was the question of the children that made her have the fortitude and the reasoning. She didn't want to malign the father. She just said that he found a different way to be happy. And the children said, does that mean he doesn't love us anymore? And the mother said, no, I don't think that aspect of it will ever change. He is always going to be your father. And as long as he wants to have you in his life, I don't have a problem with that. But we're going to have to find other ways to now survive because he can no longer support us. So the support ceased, uh, the love ceased, and this man went on about his life. Many years go by, and one day this lady who has been left stranded with children uh, receives a note. And the note is from that husband who says, I do not know how and with what face I can ever approach you again, but I am in a dilemma. Is I have another family here. I have a wife and a kid, and uh, I just found out that I am dying. I am terminal. I have promised her many things, but I don't think I'll ever be able to fulfill it. I don't know what else to do, but you were always solid in my life, and I feel bad for having left you. Would you consider it in your heart, if there is any place in your heart, to now take on this other family, bring them with you, give them opportunity, and give them hope. The wife who had been abandoned agreed to do that. And in doing so, the man who passed away, her husband who had, who had abandoned her, sent his new family to now live with his old family. Now, how that story ends is not as much of importance as that very act. When you look at the world we live in, there are a couple of components in this world that manifest, that require that kind of understanding, that kind of love, that kind of grace, that kind of prayer. But unfortunately, we are living in times where the divisive nature of our rhetoric and the toxic nature of how we interact with people has brought us to loggerheads with each other. 
the shouting that we do across the airwaves, whether it's conservative or not, the shouting we do in the halls of Congress, whether it's to pass laws that are just or not, is just that, an angry vitriol that has no amount of grace within. I want to win looking out for myself, and if I win, I have to take care of number one. Mr. Ziegler, my mentor, always said, that you will never find a happy person who's self-involved. A person who wants to win at any cost because they are in power or they hold the seats of Congress, whichever side it was, what you will begin to find is a very self-involved prophecy. And this self-involvement has nothing to do with conservatism or liberalism. Those are policies. But Basic Humanity 101 warrants a higher level of discourse. What separates us from animals, what separates us from plants, what separates us from pond scum is that superior intellect, that intellect that is God-given, created in his image. Now hear me carefully, that doesn't mean you don't have rules, but rules without a relationship have, will, and always lead to rebellion. You know, Charlie Pace was a notorious English criminal. And as bad as he was when he was walking towards the gallows at the very end of his life, condemned to die for a life of revelry, condemned to to die because he had lived a wanton and lewd ways, because he had looted people and stolen honor, because he had participated on the wrong side of that which was legal, because he had lived such a debauched life, Charlie Pace was sentenced to die. But as he was walking towards his end, uh, the pastor or the preacher or the priest, whichever denomination was afforded to him, came alongside him and began to talk about the eternality of God, the supremacy of his love, the sovereignty of his grace, and the ever willing and overwhelming offer of that to Charlie himself. A man who had lived so horribly all of his life was now being offered a good that he could not contend. And Pace's words, which I will paraphrase, are simply this. If I believe as you believe in what you're asking me to believe, I would walk across England on my knees, albeit if it was completely strewn with glass, to prevent anyone else from that kind of damnation. See, the burden of sharing the love that we have, the burden of acknowledging the weaknesses that we see, the burden of emphasizing the strengths that will lift them up, the burden of giving people the dignity that they need to be able to provide for themselves and their family has to be birthed in that burden. It cannot come out of guilt. It cannot come out of anger. It cannot come out of distrust. As we try to morph societies and change humanity, we are passing laws at such a rapid rate to alter the very course of humanity. In this course, we have said that if you come from a moral place that is anything other than human morals, anything other than human love, you're bigoted, you are racist, and you're prejudicial. Right off the bat, you and I who are good, God-fearing, law-abiding, tax-paying citizens say, I don't want to be caught up in being labeled. So as a result of not being caught up in being labeled, I'm going to refuse to be caught up. And the only way to not get ensnared in this trap of hate is not even come into the arena of war. 
If that was the case, David would have never felled Goliath. If that was the case, good would have never triumphed over evil. If that was the case, law would always be what was supreme. And whenever it was broken, a new law would be introduced just to prevail, to resurrect the previous law. But how are we going to participate? How are we going to plug into this? How are we going to pray? How are we going to love? When we come back on the other side of the break, I'm going to give you some ideas that are going to put a little pep in your step and a little bounce to your ounce. Well, hopefully uh, you're still tracking and uh, welcome back to another segment of the Todd Hoff Show, the home of conservative, not bitter. Once again, filling in for my dear friend Todd behind his microphone is your hopefully soon-to-be friend, Krish Dunham, recording this from my studio in Dallas, Texas, and I hope your day is a magnificent one, and I hope you'll make it a better one. One of the ways in which I make sure that the best part of every day is ahead is when someone says, how are you doing? And I use the words of my mentor when I say, I'm doing incredible, but I think I'm getting better. Nine times out of ten, they'll say, why, were you feeling bad? I said, no, I'm just telling the truth in advance. You know, we live in times where uh, the traffic will bother you. Someone's wearing or not wearing a mask will bother you. Vaccination status will bother you. Your space in line uh, trying to buy the newest phone of which you just have the latest version from eight months ago. Whatever it is, there are a myriad of things that just set us off. And we completely allow ourselves to be controlled by someone else's action. Someone said, man, I don't watch the news because the more I watch it, the more angry I get. And I understand that. So I, like other people, don't watch the news, but I still need to be informed. So you have to find solutions in this world so that you're not a hermit or an ostrich with your head in the sand saying, I'm not going to play. You're not the kind of person who is going to succumb to being bullied to the degree where you say, I'm just going to take my toys and go home. And you don't want to be that venerable complaining type who says, man, I don't like the rules, so I'm going to wait along to elect someone who's going to change the rules so that I win. Life is a participator sport. Life is not a spectator sport. You can't win it if you're not in it. You have to be in the game to understand it. And this is where that 3% mindset has always liberated America. No matter at which journey and which juncture you take American history, there have been 3% of the people who always believed in the greater good, the moral good, and the immediacy. Whether it was during the civil rights era where a lady says, I'm not going to stand up and I'm not going to go to the front of the bus or I'm not going to get off the bus and an entire race of people move forward. Whether it was Nelson Mandela who was confined to the prison for 27 years looking out of a window that continually allowed him to see the liberation of a nation. Whether it was Mahatma Gandhi in India who looked at the mighty British Empire and said that we want you to leave. And when that mighty British Empire said, if we leave, there will be chaos, there will be unrest, there will be anarchy, there will be disturbance and there will be disobedience. And Mahatma Gandhi proudly said, yes, but it will be ours. See, the ownership of the time warrants us to take the good, the bad, and the ugly at the same time and say, I am going to be someone who is going to stand for solutions. And so when you look into plugging into this with prayer and with love and with understanding and grace, here's a formula of how you rate. 
The R in your formula should always stand for reason. Is reason on your side? Is rationale on your side? Do the formulas you have for every day give you the kind of countenance and comfort they are supposed to give you so that you can look in that mirror and say, I gave it my everything? Now, there is something that is countercultural that is taking place, and I call this the casualty of culture. Because of the lewdness that is around the dropping of boundaries, the redefining of morality and the introducing of abject nonsense, we have lost and paid a huge price on the familial side. And I tell this to you personally, so have we. And in that loss comes a tremendous amount of grief. And amidst that grief comes a tremendous amount of pain. Yesterday, we quoted Dostoevsky, and I want to quote something else from him, and I'm not going to dive into it as deeply as we did yesterday. He said, lamentation, which is that grief, that cry, comfort only by lacerating the heart still more. And he says, when we cry out in pain, all we are doing, we're injuring the heart that is already scarred. Such grief does not desire consolation. It's almost as if we cry that we are lost. Uh, the election was, uh, you know, rigged or stolen or whichever, whatever you believe, it doesn't matter. But if that is your cry, your grief does not desire consolation. It feeds on the sense of its hopelessness. But I love how Dostoevsky completes that. He says, lamentations spring only from the constant craving to reopen the wound. And as conservatives, sometimes you need to ask yourself, if is our constant attention-seeking tactic only to reopen the wound, or are we actually going to this time around offer solutions that take? Now, I'm not blaming us or blaming someone else, but both sides seem to every four years go through this cycle of blame, this cycle of perpetual grief, the cycle of lamentation to constantly open the wound and to look at that grief. Because in looking at that grief, you can claim to be a victim once more. And in being a victim once more, claim defenselessness because everything that was done was done unto you and you really had no say in it. But how then shall you live? Going back to that original proverbial Francis Schaeffer question, how then shall we live? Going forward, how are we going to raise our families? How are we going to excel on the jobs? How are we going to impact an economy? How are we going to refine a society? How are we going to redeem a, a culture? How are we going to resurge as a nation? And how are we going to revive as a people? We have to ask ourselves these questions because at the end of the day, it's that old poem. Oh, Lord, the world is dark and lonely. Every way I look, it's blue. When I turn and I turn and I turn and I turn, I see the fingers pointing, saying it is you. Oh, my Lord, this world is a dark and lonely place and everybody says it's blue. Everywhere I turn, the fingers point and the fingers say it's you. When I look at you and I ask you that question, Lord, how will you answer? And your answer to me has always been since the beginning of time what it has been. And that answer has been my child, my child, start with you. And the right reason for that is simply this change begins from within. But if you want to change a nation, if you want to eat an elephant, you start one bite at a time. You want to read a book, you start one page at a time. You want to finish a page, you start one paragraph at a time. You want to finish a paragraph, you send to finish one sentence at a time. You want to finish a sentence, you start one word at a time, one word at a time, and you'll finish the book. Henry Morton Stanley, who was looking for uh, Henry Morton uh, Stanley, who was looking for David Livingston, commissioned by a newspaper, had gone from Tanganyika to Zanzibar and was traipsing through the Congo in search of the elusive Dr. Livingston. 
And when he eventually found him, we hear those proverbial words, Dr. Livingston, I presume. But in his two-volume epic, Livingston of Africa, Henry Morton Stanley put it this way. When he was queried, were you ever afraid to go to the heart of Africa to take a journey of such unknown destination, to take a journey of such perilous circumstances? He said, no. I looked at the weed that was three feet in front of me and I hacked it. Three feet in front of it, if I found an obstacle that was poisonous or detrimental, I killed it. Enough little blocks of three feet and suddenly I found myself in the heart of Africa. That's where our hope is going to come from. So when you ask yourself, how do you rate? And you look at the rationale behind your rating and you look at the reason behind your rating, the reason has to be, How prepared are you to undertake this journey called life? How prepared are you to undertake this fight called existence? How prepared are you to sacrifice this identity called patriotic liberty? Whatever it is. Uh, I'm a first generation immigrant. I've always said that. I've lived here 35 years and people have often asked me, Krish, when you quote God in the marketplace, are you ever afraid that they're going to not invite you? I said, between an irate crowd and an irate God, I would be a fool not to pick an irate crowd. The irate crowd can shun me. They can ban me. They can kick me out, but they can never eliminate me. Only the God of the universe can do that. And one day when I stand in front of him, he's going to ask me what I did with his word. And I can either say I gave it everything I had or I cowered behind the populace of the moment. That's why Dr. Martin Luther King said, a man who doesn't stand for anything will stand for something will fall for anything. He also said, if you don't want people crawling all over your back, stand erect. Uh, Now, the reason for these comments and the reason for this particular stance is just that. How do you reason? What is the rationale behind your motivation? What are the fundamental precepts that govern you? What are the whys in your life that define you? Who are the people in your life that influence you? When will you make the stand? What is the benchmark upon how you're going to guide this progress? So if you want to plug into that prayer, that love, that understanding and that grace, and you want to ask yourself, how do you rate? Reason and rationale are the first things that will allow that intellect to shine. More after this. Well, welcome back to the home of conservative, not bitter. This is Chris Dunham filling in for Todd Huff. When we left off at the end of that last segment, we were talking about reason. In this segment, I want to uh, give you hope through application. And by application, I simply mean the things you can do on a daily basis that will energize you mentally, physically, and spiritually sometimes called the unknown dimensions of success, there are components in our life that make us look at how we prepare and why we need to prepare a certain way. When I digest information, whether I'm reading it, whether I'm viewing it, whether I'm listening to it, I always digest it three ways. And as a result, my application takes on a quantitative approach after qualitatively evaluating it. What does that mean? Let me just explain to you so that you can get some hope in your planning today. The first step when I read something is I ask myself a fundamental question. What is the authorial intent? So now let's broaden that up and open it up to the conversation that we have at a individual level, a state level, a city level or a national level. 
let's say we're looking at the national level and we are evaluating the fallout of the things in Afghanistan. A 20-year war that made a group of people disappear literally from the horizon in terms of the Taliban, American occupation or help or whatever you want to call it for a period of time. But then suddenly one day we make a decision and the decision is we're no longer going to be there. And the fallout for that is this visible pictorial of people hanging from planes uh, to... uh, the opposite end being given to us saying we had complete safety and we had strategic intent. Now you're receiving this information and on one side the visual is showing something graphic and dastardly. On the other side you just hear a nice pristine soundbite from someone behind a lectern saying no this was already carefully orchestrated. What you saw was a finite amount of disturbance but the infinite good was achieved. Now you're looking at this information and your blood is boiling on two levels. One is you're looking at the sacrifice made by all those men and women and the tombs of people that were occupied as gold star families gave up the very loves of their lives so that this freedom would be observed. So that is just a visceral anger. On the other side, uh, you're saying to yourself is, hey, we never asked for this war. So whatever they're saying, I believe them. Whichever side of the argument you're on, you have to ask yourself a primal question. What is the authorial intent of what was put out? The pictures that were put out were to get you the reaction that there is a reality that is happening. The audio that is coming out is designed to counter those visuals because they know we live in a world where the lights are always on and the camera is always rolling. So for the very first time in human history, we are actually getting contradicting messages simultaneously. An audio version of it by way of talk radio gives you one account of anger. A visual medium by way of cable news or any number of Instagram or any of those reels that pop out give you a different version of it. A pristine and selected diplomatic discourse that is offered at a national level by country heads gives you a third diametrically opposite viewpoint. You and I as citizen on planet Earth, 8 billion people are just a single person asking ourselves, what does this mean? In digesting that information, you first have to ask yourself in the application, what is the authorial intent? What are they trying to get out of me? Do not react, respond, which means process before you decide to react. Internalize the information, personalize it, see if it affects you. Does the picture of a person on a plane affect you to the degree that you have to upset the apple cart about everything? Does the picture of a person on a plane upset the way you eat dinner? I'm not trying to be crass or trying to be shallow, but sometimes we fly off the handle and because we cannot do anything about the picture on our television, about the audio on our car or about the soundbite that comes out of DC, we take it out on those around us because it very affects our mood. So first question, whatever information you get, ask yourself, what is authorial intent, including that which you're receiving from me right now? Second, ask yourself, what does that mean to you? So if you first internalize, the second you have to personalize. What does this mean to me? So when I see the pictures in Afghanistan and I think to myself, okay, a 20-year time frame is really not enough if evil wants to win. A 20-year time frame of good is not enough even if evil. Now that's a that's a that's a proclamation that is mind-numbing for the simple reason that we live in instant gratification world. 
We wanted the war to have started yesterday, the ceasefire to have been announced this morning, and Afghanistan to be a bit normal this afternoon. But all these trillion dollars later and all those billions of equipment left over there, I come to the stark realization that 20 years is not enough to suppress evil. Then when I ask myself, how would I vocalize this? Remember, you internalize, you personalize. When you rate yourself, after the rationale comes the application. And there's always a method to my madness because when I ask myself the question, what does this mean? When I talk about how do I vocalize this as I just did, I thought to myself, man, that's a chilling indictment on ourselves. But I vocalize it with such confidence because evil has existed since the fall of man. Evil has existed as a part of human culture and human experience since the beginning of time. The argument of good versus evil is not a diplomatic decision. It is not a border decision. It is not an immigration decision. It is not a welfare decision. It is not an economic decision. It is not a pandemic decision. It is a decision that is based in the fundamental ethos of very creation. Evil is born into humanity from birth. Evil exists all the way through life. And evil is only exonerated when we are at the right hand of God the Father. And until that time, we will struggle with it. Now, when I say it that way, I begin to realize that the people on the plane are just a byproduct of evil. The conversations of anger are just a byproduct of that fight of good versus evil. The diatribes that are being offered to me, or whether it is good or evil, are each person trying to survive of their own accord. Now that I've explained application that way, that's how when you rate yourself, anytime you receive information, whether you're in an argument, whether you're in a debate, whether it's theological, whether it's sociological, you always have to ask yourself, why is it being offered that way? What is the authorial intent? Two, how does it affect me? Which means at an individual level, how does this bit of information radically change my relationships and my affiliations and my reputation? And three, when I vocalize it, how would I make it sound so that they realize that this is what I believe? More after this. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this little formula for rating that will give you a little pep in your step, as I promised. This is Chris Dunham filling in for Todd Huff on the Todd Huff Radio Show, the home of conservative, not bitter. Uh, we've got about uh, one segment and a, smart, and a small ending towards the end of today that will wrap up our time with you. I once again thank you for uh, giving me the privilege of sitting behind this microphone. But more importantly, as a young, as a humble immigrant, I'm not young anymore. I find this a great privilege to talk to audiences in this nation, a nation that I have been extremely grateful for all the days I have lived here. And I'm so proud to represent wherever else in the world I go. Uh, continue to send us some of your emails and give us ideas of what you would like to hear in the future. And maybe we can come back as a guest or fill in later on as Todd desires. But my email is Krish, K-R-I-S-H, at KrishDunham.com. That's K-R-I-S-H-D-H-A-N-A-M, KrishDunham.com. You can find my books on Amazon. I have written on the American dream from an Indian heart. I've written a book called Twilight, which was an ode to my mentor, Mr. Ziegler. 
But this is not about all the shameless plugs, but people often ask me, where can we find your stuff? And I think majority of them are on Kindle. Majority of the proceeds from those do go to scholarships in India and stuff like that. God has been kind to us in his ability to provide for us. So as a result, we don't plug too much uh, material stuff here. Uh, let's begin to wrap up our conversation on uh, prayer, love, understanding, and grace. How do we plug in and how do we rate in that plugging in? We talked about reason. We talked about application. I would encourage you to go back and listen to this on the website and uh, get a better understanding. R is reason. A is application. The T comes for transformation. The transformation is part of the formula, the formula of going forward. If you internalize, personalize, and vocalize information, there comes a point in time where after doing it consistently over a period of time, you do become a caricature of your own creation, which means the consistency, for lack of a better word, I don't know how many of you are old timers enough to remember that classic movie, uh, Groundhog Day, where uh, every day has that same thing to it with the insurance agent and each day has a little added to it or a little taken away from it but the essence of every day is the same and when I was being raised or trained by Mr. Ziegler for a transformation journey that has now become my life every day was like Groundhog Day I would joke because I'd meet him at the base of the elevator in a hotel somewhere and he would always say howdy 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 uh, are you doing good or better than good and I would say better than good sir and you would say I'm glad you're facing facts and I guess we're off to breakfast and those words were consistent but every day the consistency had an element that was added to it and it was almost as if he wanted the starting point of today to only be uh, something that would be accomplished if yesterday's foundation was not eroded which means that Groundhog Day principle of every day adding something means you have to bring to the forefront that which you brought up to this point yesterday. So transformation can never be a fad of some sort where you're just changing with the whim. Someone says, you know, I remember I was speaking some years ago in the country of Taiwan for an American organization, and I was sitting with some folks at dinner that night, and I think I, I offended some people when they asked me, what are some things you see as bad? And I see the fleeting nature of our... Uh, of our social media, the transient nature of our society, the lack, the lack of being fixated on something that is firm, a foundation that is solid. I said our children are growing up with a fluidity that is so scary that I'm almost nervous that some of this fluid nature will not only consume them, but it will captivate them in a new kind of horror, a reality from which they cannot ever extricate themselves because that normal is now around them. And this man looked at me like I was some kind of a fuddy-duddy. He was younger than me, much more successful than me, had a private plane, had a thriving business, but part of his nature of understanding was the reason he was successful is because he was fluid and adaptable. And that included understanding every ideology that came down the pike, every relationship that was offered as moral and legal. Uh, every relationship that was offered as legal would now supplant that which was demanded of what was moral. And as I stood my ground there, I did feel like I was firmly planted in midair and that everything around me was that sinking sand. 
I was with a group of about seven or eight people and I quickly found myself being being lessened by each each question, each comment, because I refused to budge on the foundations of yesterday because I didn't want that far to fall. Now I quickly realized that in this transformation, in this journey, there is a loneliness that will come in. And the loneliness is not because you feel that you don't have anybody around you. The loneliness is that the popularity that comes with crowds will soon wane away. You will find yourself happy in, in that solitude, but there is a loneliness that will come in. Recently, I was at another event where someone came to me and said, I don't want to offend you, but I have to ask you if that maybe you might be a believer or a follower of the Christian faith. Now, that was as open-ended, open-jawed, boundaryless uh, quali- qualifying that I've ever seen for somebody to come directly and ask you, are you a Christian? You know, I'm, me, I don't want to offend you. And I thought that, and I looked at them and I said, well, I really am sorry that you feel that way. They said, no, 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 I don't want to offend you. I said, no, I would like to apologize right now in public to my Lord and Savior, because when I speak, it should be evident that I'm a Christian. And if it's not evident, I'm doing a disservice. And that person looked at me and said, I've been a believer much longer than you have. And I can't believe that it took someone like you to set me straight because I dance to this tune. I try to transform based on what is acceptable based on what is accommodated, based on what might be acknowledged. I said, that's the difference between you and me, because I want to dance to a tune where I'm applauded. And that applause has nothing to do with my earthly role. It has to do with my eventuality. Like I said, this is not a theological discourse, but there will be an answer we will give. Whether we give it in this lifetime or another, I don't know. But one thing, No man is an island to the degree that you can just go from goo to zoo to you and believe that you will be exonerated. Our application requires some amount of firm foundation. And the fortitude of that application is only going to be built if you look at your yesterdays and say, I have preserved my foundation of yesterday, whether it is liberty, whether it is the causation of... uh, prosperity, whether it's the con- con- the conversation of patriotism, whatever it is, make sure your foundations of yesterday are not eroded so that the escalation and the acceleration of tomorrow will have a chance. We'll finish when we come back. Well, friends, dear listeners of the Todd Huff Show, the home of conservative, not bitter. This is your humble immigrant correspondent, Chris Dunham. Uh, getting ready to wrap her up at the end of day two. As I was recording these, because that's what's being played back for you, I thought to myself, man, that's a lot of time to just be talking into a microphone. But there's something I realized a long time ago. When you have something to say and you passionately believe in the fact that you get to say it, and you are sure that what you're saying has passed the muster of truth, and has been tested by the veneer of time, somehow those words will flow. I know at times I may have sounded garbled, at times I may have scrambled, but hopefully if you look back at the two days, we were able to unpack for you logic and truth through an apologetic. We were able to give you that concept of prayer, love, understanding, and grace as a way to live in these times and give you a formula, reason, application, transformation. 
The E in our rate would be expectation. If you follow all of these things, what can you expect? You can expect a couple of things, and this comes from Mr. Ziegler's at the top. You can expect that you will have lived a life where you have lived your life with, by looking at the clock, but you will have expected out of life things that come from a vision. You will have understood that uh, with humility, great things are possible. You will have realized that working for progress is better than trying to aim at perfection. You will have realized that other people can tell you what you can or cannot do, but only you can fulfill it. Until we meet again, either on this side or on the other show, thanks a lot, God bless, good luck.